Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Joe Pavlansky, pop culture historian, writer for Scary Monsters magazine, and curator of the Crypt of Classics. Co-hosting, as always, is the maestro of mail-order mysteries and owner of HouseOfTheUnusual.com, the intrepid Eddie Guevara. How are you doing, Eddie? How are you, Joe? Hey, Joe. Uh, oh, you know, it's hanging in there, man. Same old, same old. Well, I, I got some great, uh, great important information in front of me. Today, I came across a couple of articles that, you know, we had one of our special uh, episodes where we spoke about flying soldiers. And we also spoke about the, uh, you know, the Bigfoot and a few things, I think, you know, uh, of events. So, well, this is the thing that I wanted to mention. I came across this article of, uh, of a man. Apparently, there was a report of a man flying a jetpack over the Los Angeles uh, area. And it was first reported, it says here, an unusual call came into the Los Angeles airport concerning an unidentified flying man. Oh, unidentified man flying a jetpack. An American Airlines flight was the first to report the guy in a jetpack at the plane's altitude of 3,000 feet above Los Angeles International Airport on Sunday. They said that the man was approximately 30 yards away from the aircraft. Now now the FBI is looking into the matter. Now, other than that report, today's Wall Street Journal also had an article which says, Everyone is watching the skies and seeing UFOs. And their sightings are in the rise, and 2020 shapes up to become the banner year for close encounters. Uh, what do you think of all this stuff, Joe? Um, I'm just kind of curious because I found the articles exciting. You know what? I, I read that um, the article on the, the guy with the jetpack, and I, I thought that was amazing. I mean, you know, for you know maybe the last 10 or 20 years, you know, they've been people and different companies have been trying out you know, jetpacks, whether over land or water. So I'm wondering if this is somebody who, you know, maybe had one of your old mail order mystery items that you sent them years ago on how to make a jetpack and finally made one. And, you know, he's flying up there with the planes at, at 3000 feet, you know, maybe he spent his, his, his quarter and, and shipping and waited his six weeks, got the plans and, and put it together and, you know, got an actual working, you know, backpack going to, to fly through the air i mean how amazing is that it's funny that you said that uh it is true joe they used to especially in popular mechanics and popular science there was always somebody selling a, a jetpack like the plans on how to build one i long time ago i obtained those plans and i went ahead and i actually reproduced them and i sold them for a couple of years on ebay the funny thing about it is that you know now that you mentioned that because <laughs> i had forgotten is that when I was selling that jetpack, there was one particular guy that I thought was funny. He says, after receiving the information, I see that it will cost over a million dollars to build. Therefore, I would like a refund. I, I thought it was funny because, <laughs> first of all, in reality, how many people actually that buy something like that are willing or have the funds to be able to actually build a jetpack? You know? But you know, you know, you say that, but here's the thing: is that millionaires now were fans of mail order items back in the you know 50s 60s and 70s and now you know 
they made their own business or they made, you know, their millions one way or another. And they, they have that pocket change to make an actual work. Well, backpack. let's be honest. What about the guy a few months ago that he apparently uh, got killed in a rocket he built in his backyard? Uh, what I thought was funny about that incident is that here's a guy who's smart enough to say that, you know, he that he is able to build a rocket. And the reason he was building the rocket was to fly up high enough to see if the Earth was flat. Oh, oh yeah, I do remember hearing about I, I that thought article. I thought that yeah. was funny because why would you um, <laughs> be that smart and yet that kind of nutty, you know? But I... Uh, yeah, I, I got to wonder where, you know, where did he get his, his plans to build the rocket was... You know, did he develop those plans or were they, you know, another mail order item for because, you know, back in I, I'm not sure the exact year when that um, that article was, I, I believe I, I seen one not too long ago from the 70s. It was, you know, how, plans on how to build your own, you know, rocket. Yeah, they ship. did. Have, so, you know, maybe they did have. Yeah, maybe when this guy was younger or something, you know, he that was something he always dreamed about. And now, you know, he had the motivation to actually you know, put real plans together to build his rocket. And, you know, maybe that was the fruition. Well, the thing it. that's interesting about it is that the, uh, the guy, I, I think I, I forgot this happened a few months ago. This I think happened around maybe March or a little bit earlier where this guy actually got killed in making his rocket. Now he had already uh, tried similar attempts earlier and, and most I think had worked. Um, what he did and his background, they did show it on TV what it was. I kind of forgot. But you know what? We've had people like the guy who put let's uh, storm Area 51. And all of a sudden that he got over two, three million people to actually sign up for it. You have now, I get, and, and, you know, with the coronavirus, you've had people uh, all over the place, staying home, nothing to do. So their curiosities go wild, you know. It's just funny the way that some people here we are talking about mail order items and things that we would laugh about. But at the same time, there's actually people out there that are putting together stuff. And who knows if they got them in magazines like Popular Science or Popular Mechanics. I mean, the magazines were filled with how to plans. Um, now, see, you would you would know this better than I would or have a you know better recollection because you you know, you lived through the 60s and the 70s, you know, would you have even thought back then, you know, flipping through the comics and seeing ads for build your own rockets, you know, build your own backpack, would you have thought that any time in the future or near future that these things would have became like a reality? Because it's, it's looking now, you know, we look at it now and we're saying, oh, you know, the, these crazy or people on the fringe are building these rockets or backpacks. And, you know, we're saying that in, in 2020, but, you know, if we look ahead, say 2040 or 2050, you might be able to find these things at you know, your local, you know, Target or Walmart or something. You know, it might be something that's kind of mainstream. You know, would you have thought back in the 60s that this would have been something, you know, you know, the, the, very mainstream? Well, actually, uh, when you say in 60s, you're making me a little older than I am here. You mean the 70s, you know? Uh, <laughs> Okay, we'll yeah, go with seventies. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I always wanted to buy plants or everything, how to build a robot, to how to build a flying saucer. I always I always look for them. Uh, did I ever think I was gonna build one? Ironically, maybe in the back of my mind I thought that if I had the plants I would be able to. I don't know. 
I don't really recall that well, but I do know that I do own quite a few plants. In fact, um, I bought. Are you sure you're not the person that? Well, was you know, you're not supposed feet? to tell the public <laughs> now because you know now you kind of rooted me out there with my actual plants. You know, but um, what really gets me though is. What I found interesting about that, because first of all, remember, we've had jetpacks in the Army back in World War II. Uh, we had them, um, you know, they, oh, they, yeah. they even do them today where they put a, a hose of water in. It's like, and if you fly over the water, you know, what common people can do this. Now, oh, I, I've seen those. And man, those yeah, look but like a The blast, thing that kind of threw me off with this is how the heck can somebody have a jetpack? And what type of technology do they possess that they can fly 3,000 feet in the air? And what about if this is being done by somebody that the FBI has to investigate because the government doesn't even know about, then technically is there is some really smart people out there because technology for a jetpack, if we had it, I mean, which we do have, but, you know, the original stuff had a lot of flaws. It's kind of like, you know, the United States put a lot of money into a lot of uh, black projects back in the, in the 40s and 50s and early 60s that, you know, worked on flying saucers. They worked on many things. And one of the reasons that we don't have disc-shaped this, this flying saucers is because I think if I, I'm, I'm correct in what I'm saying, when they first tested it, the air, aerodynamics on it, I think, yeah, the aerodynamics on it were not that great because of the fact that, that uh, there's no lift on, 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 a, on a round object like that. If, I mean, I'm, I'm talking off my head right now. Uh, it's been a while since I've actually looked at study that now the last the last i've seen about like a disc shaped flying saucer from things that i've read is that there's been speculation that in the center of it there's a some type of anti-gravity um machine or engine that it develops its own gravitational field around the flying saucer or you know whatever it is that you know, it gives it its own gravity, so that way it could travel at, you know, at crazy speeds and do these, you know, 90-degree um, turns while doing these crazy speeds, and it won't affect the people inside. Because now I, I, I know when the, um, the Nazis, they tried to develop their uh, flying saucer war machine, and there's, you know, historical photos of that. They had some issues with that, but I believe they were still working with you know, kind of like a jet propulsion engine and it wouldn't really work out. So, you know, like you see, you know, everyone always says, you know, the, the military and government's 2030, you know, could be up to 50, a hundred years ahead of, you know, what the public knows. So there, there very well could be more stuff than we know of, but it's just, it's funny that, you know, just some random guys, he's hanging out with the, the jetliners up at 3,000. Yeah, well, feet, that, that's you know? what I found really amazing about the thing. Now, what I'm thinking, though, is when we're talking about all this new flying saucers now with the article uh, where so many people claiming to see things. Now, remember, technology such as this, you have a lot of people now flying small drones. You have people um, designing flying saucers, and there's so much available technology, stuff that you can send away for an Amazon, and you can practically build anything you want. So now we have now a bigger problem in in our time where there's going to be more confusion about flying saucers due to the fact that there's so many people. Because I got to be honest with you, I'm one of those individuals that has tried countless times to fly objects up in the sky whenever I could just to cause confusion for fun. And 
Well, speaking, well, you know, speaking of Amazon, I don't know if you you've seen the latest article. They just got cleared uh, by the FAA to to get their their uh, delivery drones in the air to put to use. So I, I think we're going to be seeing those here in the, in the very very near future. And you know, I I think a lot of people, you know, especially for the investigators working at MUFON, I think they're going to start getting a lot of reports of these, you know, people seeing flying saucers, but they're actually going to be these Amazon drones delivering what? packages. You know, because when, when I when I was working for MUFON doing the, the field investigator, I was getting a lot of reports and people sending pictures, and I was able to deduce that a lot of these pictures and reports were actually that of people flying drones at night. So now you're going to start seeing more drones in the air because Amazon's going to be they're going to put out a ton of them to deliver packages so I, I think the UFO reports are going to start skyrocketing well that that's one thing that can happen um, that idea I read that article today I think it's in the same Wall Street Journal uh, that speaks of Amazon getting cleared on that and it's the first time ever but you got to understand one thing when you're talking about basically people seeing unusual items, unusual things in the sky. Now, one of the things that I've always said about UFOs that I, to me, like I said, I love the, the stuff. I love the, the genre. I collected more UFO books. Now, did I hardly believe in them? Not really. I believe more that they were earthly vehicles from, you know, maybe governments or top secret experimental vehicles. And let's say the United States government did for many years under the guise of UFOs, fake them purposely in order to, you know, create like the stealth bomber, the, I have an article. I, in fact, I have the original magazine of 1976 from popular science that showed a picture of the stealth fighter. I think it was. And it says the, does the government have in hiding such a, a thing? And 20 years later, the darn thing showed up for real. And the first thing I did was remark yeah. to myself, you know, I thought to myself and I said, yo, wait a minute. I have that magazine that 20 years ago said, was it true? And all along, they actually had it and they just didn't tell the public, you know? Um, so yes, there, there is my belief, a lot of stuff we have. In fact, one day, which it was a costly decision for me because a costly situation, a, a story I wanted to tell you is, I went one day, I wanted, when I first, you know, started doing this mail order stuff, and I told you one of my hottest ads was in Popular Science, where I sold uh, the plans on how to build a free a flying saucer, and it said free flying saucer plans, uh, you know, catalog $2. And it was a very, very uh, profitable ad. But what I did with it was in order to actually get some type of flying saucer plans that would look really legitimately good, as I went to a, a Newark, New Jersey, there is a patent, um, I, I forgot what they call it, a United States patent uh, depot or depot inside the library of Newark, which is the main library in New Jersey. You know, Newark is the, one of the biggest cities in New Jersey. And I went there and I parked my car outside and I was up there on microfish film photocopying different United States patents from Lockheed to everything that resemble a flying saucer. I actually got 17 different patents 
And the one I used was the one that looked more, which was a 1947 patent that actually had a disc-shaped saucer in the patent and how to produce it. And it was issued a United States patent. It, it, it kind of resembles a lot where there's some magazines of popular science from the 50s or mechanics that has a flying saucer in the front, which supposedly was made by the United States Navy or Air Force. Um, I forgot exactly which of the two claimed to have made it, but it's a beautiful print and it shows the actual dish. Now, I remember hearing in the History Channel, one of the documentaries, because that's all I watch is documentaries about, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, all this stuff. And I remember clearly where it showed that particular photo. And there's some people, you know, photographed next to a large flying saucer disc shape object about 30 feet in diameter and supposedly it's the one the government was uh, secretly working on now they did claim in the um, in the show that it that in, it didn't work and they spent millions and, and one of them was the aero car that was produced by Canada which was supposed to fly like you know 500 feet in the air or something like that and it only flew about 15-20 inches off the ground it, it worked more like a hovercraft than an actual flying saucer and they spent literally millions of dollars into this device. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but the thing I'm trying to say to you is that if there were so many patents issued to disc-shaped objects from the 50s, I'm sure that maybe a lot of that stuff never was made public. A lot of those stuffs are what they call black projects. In fact, if you go now to that new site, that I believe was uh, Obama who started making a release to Clinton, which is called the Black Vault. You can download all those, which oh, is yeah. a great site too. I'm, I'm telling you, everything from Roswell, all those things are there. But which the funny thing about it, of course, everything's blacking out. So I mean, well, well, the the guy that the guy that runs that, and um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, he he gets all his information and a good majority of his information from uh, freedom of information act requests. And he has, I mean, he has, you know, over 2 million pages of information online there. And it's, it's everything that he's well, you know, got from one the of government. sites is actually run by the FBI. I, I don't know if it's black fault or something, but the FBI has one also, and it, they themselves released to the public all that papers, you know, um, you, you got to understand we've been living in a, in a, in a time when between the 1940s to the present, especially the early 1940s innovation was number one, when we had the world's fair, like for example, the 1939 world's fair showed uh, the first time Westinghouse, the famous Westinghouse company put out a robot that was called the Westinghouse Electric Robot. He was called Electro the Robot, and he was he appeared with his dog Sparkle. Now, an interesting story behind that is, because I told you again, I'm a nut when it comes to searching for stuff I wanted. Well, I couldn't find the robot plans that I've been looking for in comic books, right? But I did find that when I saw the article from the 1939 World's Fair, I wanted to know what happened to Electro the robot and where he could be found today. Okay. So my search started in mid 1995. 
I contacted the, the, I believe it was the Westinghouse Archives, which I believe were in Massachusetts, if I remember at the time. And I contacted the guy in charge of the archives who had retired from Westinghouse after some 40 years. And this guy actually, um, you know, his name was Charlie Rook. He passed away recently. You can actually look him up in, in Google and find out who he was. And he was the curator for the archives. Now, I actually got to talk with him and he was so excited because I said to him, do you have the plans? Because he told me that after the war, they used, uh, I think Electra was used in uh, some type of vending machine pizzeria or whatever, and they had him on display, and then he disappeared from history. The belief was that he was, according to some books that were written about robots, the belief was that he was scrapped for metal. You know, in World War II, we were in shortage of, of steel and stuff, and a lot of the stuff that were built were scrapped, and they were used for scrap by the government. So what happened is I started a search on the robot and Charlie Rook, which believe it or not, sent me a, a slight bit of a fortune out there because he mailed me an envelope and inside the envelope, there was a bunch of information. And when I'm talking about a bunch of information of, uh, of the robot, including 10 original autographs of Electro the robot and the dog Sparkle. Now, he said to me there there was one guy who was the son of the guy who did the robot, the, the engineer who designed it. He said that he held the head or he had a copy of the head. They thought there was a second head made for the robot. Well, when you go far and beyond, Ohio has a museum. And, and when I'm telling you, I searched for this robot, man. I, I even had the quote on reproducing the thing. Of course, it didn't go far because I was quoted at almost $82,000 to reproduce. Yeah, the seven-foot oh, wow. robot. Now, I wanted it like like the submarine. I wanted to get it, right? So I kept always thinking, imagine if I were to able to find in some warehouse the original Electro. Well, as the story goes, and I thought, you know, I, I had actually made, because the, the point is that in some of my mail-order catalogs and stuff, I'm selling a, one of my original photographs. I reproduced it into a large poster of Electro the Robot. And in Ohio, there's a museum exactly, you know, where the guy who, the engineer who designed the robot lives. And in this museum, uh, which right now I have a mental block as the name of the museum, because, you know, this is a conversation I, you just actually reminded me of, which is something I was going to talk in future shows, but I, I had, you know, I didn't have it in my mind at the time. But anyway, the museum was apparently they got a hold of the original Electro. So when I contacted the museum, I wanted to know where it was found. And I'll tell you why, because here I am searching for the thing. And I thought I was like the only one looking for this thing. And when I saw somebody else found it, I was kind of like upset inside because I'm like, damn, man, all these years I've looked for this and now somebody else got it. And what a coincidence. And I really dedicated a lot of time into this Electro the Robot as to what originally happened to him. And what happened was is that the son of the guy who designed it, his father, before he passed away, had the robot in back of a pickup truck. And for the last 50-something years or more, because this is, this is back in, in 2001, 2000, whatever, when... Um, because in 95, I started looking for the thing. And then, you know, I spoke with Charlie Rock several times. And I wanted to ask Charlie Rock if the blueprint still existed. 
And he looked through the archives and he sent me copies of the blueprints, but copies that he had on microfish. He didn't have them on, you know, the original blueprints because apparently they don't exist. So I do have that original envelope that he sent me in my collection that I should bring it up and, you know, show the public one time uh, that they could see. Because every week now I'm doing unboxing videos of the novelties and stuff from the 70s and stuff. And what I did with that is I contacted and I got a hold of the son of the guy who created the robot. And he explained to me that they had some ranch, or I forgot where it was, and inside there was an old pickup. And when they looked at the, at the thing inside the pickup, they found Electro, which of course, you know, thing, I don't know if it had a lot of rust or whatever, but they found the original Electro the Rover from Westinghouse. And the head that he had was the head from the robot. They didn't have a second copy as they thought. It was actually somebody took off the head and he had the head, so he was able to join the two together, kind of like the headless horseman. <laughs> but he's right now, as of two years ago, three years ago, he's in the Ohio Museum. Um, I forget the actual name. In fact, you're from Campbell, Ohio, so you should know <laughs> you're close to the museum. You might actually be able to visit it before even I can. But I've been trying to drive down there to see this robot that I wanted so bad. Now, obviously, it was donated to the museum. Um, there is no tag price on it because, of course, if you would have that, it's probably worth over a million bucks. It did appear in the 1939 World's Fair. And the point I, I bought about this robot is that we had the technology to build a real robot in 1939. In 1926, there's a magazine called Science and Invention. One of the covers, I think it's the May or June issue of 1926, shows a military-style robot that, if you look at the cover, it shows a bunch of people running for cover, and it looks like he has two uh, electric saws in his hands, like spinning saws, but in reality, it, it's supposed to be like batons, like police batons, and it spins around and, and disperses the crowds from whatever reason, let's say protests and stuff they're having. And the robot and how it was supposed to be designed inside the magazine of Science and Invention, there's an entire page on that robot. Now, this robot was supposed to make an appearance for the 1939 World's Fair. So it, they had it already devised in early 1920s. Now, in my search for robots, I have, oh my God, over 100 different photographs of robots that were built by individual scientists, not scientists, but, you know, inventors throughout the country and abroad. Okay, I have many photographs. And the very first robot, back then they used to call him Mechanical Man. I'm talking about the early 20s. And the name robot was later co coined by, there was a, a famous uh, play, I think it was not iRobot, it was called something, but they coined the phrase robot. And they made a robot that would sit in a chair, he'd get up and sit down again. He weighed like half a ton. So they were called automatrons, automatons. Oh, I can't get the word, what the heck? Autom auto <laughs> I can't get the word. Yes, automatrons. Yeah, something, something like, like that. And they were later called mechanical man. And the, the thing is that they go back to the early 1920s where they were made of cast iron. So yes, we've had the technology to build devices such as robots. 
and maybe as much as flying saucers during the 1950s. Especially, you know, that famous uh, German flying saucer called the Bell, which they, you know, they were experimenting on for years. And there's a lot of technology still not public that people were working on. A good example is, you know, the story of Tesla. When Tesla died in his hotel room, the FBI came in and took away a bunch of his trunks. And he had a bunch of trunks with a lot of experiments in it. And there's a few that are missing. In fact, the History Channel had a story on the missing trunks of Tesla. Now, Tesla is probably, at the time, at his time, he was called a Charlton. He was called a fake. Because you got to remember, he worked for Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison probably wanted to claim a lot of the inventions that Tesla provided for him. He, he had no money. In fact, he died penniless. But we have to understand that Tesla is probably one of the smartest humans that ever lived. And you know what's what's interesting about uh, Tesla, speaking of him, is that when the FBI, uh, you know, they came in and they seized his property two days after his death, is that uh, President Trump's um, uncle, John G. Trump, was he was a professor at uh, MIT at the time, and he was given the you know, a lot of Tesla's papers and all that to, to look over. That is correct. Because he was doing work as a technical aide for the National Defense Research That Committee. is correct. So that's interesting connection, too. That's correct. And that's one of the things that, uh, that you know, that I remember they mentioned that um, in that Tesla special on the history. Ch- I think it was history or A&E. But I, I'm always watching this stuff. So I watch so much of it a lot of times. I got to go do back. Well, there's a... Uh, there's a cool conspiracy theory out there that, you know, when when John G. Trump, you, you know, took all, got all got his hands on Tesla's stuff, that he was able to use some of that information because there's a lot of theories, a lot of conspiracy theories, and all that that Tesla actually, you know, had the plans or or was working on the plans for you know time machines. So there's a lot of theories out there that John G. Trump was able to use those papers to actually, you know, make a working time machine. And, and now, you know, conspiracy theories, but, you know, we'll have fun with the story that, is that he went to the future and told Donald Trump, hey, you know, you are, you know, you could be president, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that now that Trump is in his presidency, that he was actually told that and what's going to happen and what to do based off of John G. Trump's, you know, coming to the future to tell him. Now, of course, it's all conjecture, you know, conspiracy theory, but it's a it's a it's a fun little, you know, something to, to think about, you know, if that technology existed back then, well, you know, you know, what could be available well, now? It's kind of funny. I thought you were going to say that his uncle was really Trump <laughs> and he just... <laughs> It could be. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I remember that story. Now, one thing I now everybody knows me as a collector of novelties of comic book novelties such as joke and magic. But among my UFO collection, I have about, if I'm correct, 34 books of Tesla and his inventions. I paid for one particular book that has, I think, 240 of his patents or 125 or something like that. I haven't looked at the book in years, but I paid back in 2000 for that book, close to $280. And it's a special edition of all his patents, 
and it actually shows the patents and the pages when you open it up it's got like you know 24 karat gold around the the trim of the book and um you open it up and some pages fold out uh, showing the plans i do have a very heavy uh collection of you know forbidden knowledge um i have um all that stuff from anti gravity books flying saucer ufo and but tesla is my main one where I have so many movies and stuff of him. Uh, I really, you know, there's a, there's a lot of conspiracy theories too that, you know, cause you know, Tesla, it's believed that he had one of the highest IQs, you know, ever. And there's a lot of conspiracy theory going around that, you know, he was actually, you know, came from another well, planet yes, of course. And it, because and... his IQ is so high and, and he was able to do all this stuff. So, you know, that that's pretty cool to think, you know, that that, that could well, be something as you know, well. I don't know if you're, you're aware of the fact that Tesla was a guy who basically invented a wireless transmission of stuff because he had and he tested a submarine he built for the 1939 World's Fair. And, and, and he showed that you can transmit electrical powers or something through the air. And then, of course, if you watch that special on Tesla, it showed all the experiments he built, including that huge tower that he wanted to build a world communication system that would end all wars. And that was the way he he tried to, you know, obviously portray it as a machine to end all wars. And, you know, he was fascinating. He a lot of in fact, there was a time that I think New York City or Long Island where he had one of his labs. Uh, because of him, there was a blackout in the entire town, and I think uh, the electric company banned him. <laughs> because I mean, this guy was just ahead of his time. Now, fun, funny thing. Oh yeah, he was centuries ahead. But a of lot his of times, you know, Joe, you might not know this, but a lot of times people don't realize when you work around high voltage, like Tesla used to, a lot of that can cause cancer. You know what I'm saying? And and he is he is a man exposed to. 24-7 high voltage. Uh, in fact, what are the inventions we have from him? The Tesla coil. Uh, in fact, if you recall, in one of my older episodes or a talk I had with you, I mentioned to you that there is a company that is still in business and they sell, they used to be named under, the name was Amazing, like the word Amazing number one. And it just had the, the one next to it. And um, this company they produce books on how to build your own robot, a phaser and iron ray guns. And it had a bunch of plans. And this company was big, especially with the high schools and colleges. And they sold hundreds of different plans from how to build hoverboards to. And the reason I know this, the name of the guy is Bob, who owns the company. And of course, if you look at him, he's missing a couple of fingers. And I mean, this guy experimented with a lot of stuff. He's one of those inventors. I had a conversation with him way back in the day, and the reason I called him is because he had um, a book he put out, a catalog, and it was entitled Far Out Science. And I was so interested. Like, I loved the cover. I loved everything, and I wanted to make my catalog under his title. So he had asked me that if I did make the catalog or, believe it or not, create the magazine, Go Ship Times. So this happened around 2008, to be exact, because that's when I first published Go Ship Times. The thought was, he said to me, if you publish a magazine with science, things like that, you can use all the plans that I sell 
and I'm going to put it in my catalog. Now, at the time, this man ran ads, full-page ads in Popular Science. He ran full-page ads in um, Popular Electronics, which was a magazine uh, very popular in the, in, you know, the 80s and 90s. And he also ran full-page ads. Believe it or not, I don't know what it has to do with you know electronics and stuff. But the magazine that's called Psychology Today, which is about, you know, psychiatrists and stuff and, you know, elect- popular electronics. Because they used to be, the magazines up there were popular electronics, like NIX, popular electronics, which is like popular science, popular mechanics. Those were all individual magazines. Now, popular electronics dealt with a lot of how to build things, like from electronic things to whatever. And they had, some of them had beautiful covers. In fact, I have one of them that the guy actually would, would teach you how to make a machine to speak to the to ghost. And the cover is fascinating. And this was like, I don't know, mid-90s. And um, I have all those magazines. I have, in fact, a huge collection of them. Because like I said, I've always been into this science, black projects, uh, UFOs. Did I believe in them 100%? No, I didn't, Joe. But I, I, I just love the genre. <laughs> like, I just love collecting stuff like that um i was very and like especially when it came to robots and i think all this came from the fact that i couldn't have the robot plants i always wanted still looking for and i just needed to fill the gap with whatever in the field of robotics that would even be close to what i wanted to do including where i built three robots of my own and one after I spent countless hours and days putting together, and I built this beautiful cardboard. I actually bought off um, Uline, I think was the name of the uh, the company that sell. No, not not I think that's the name of this, like a Staples company. But it's like basically all mail order that all the major companies in the United States buy cardboard boxes from and all that. And I bought up, uh, I think like twenty four pieces of twenty four inches by forty eight inches flat cardboard 200 pound test and i took that and i started fashioning out this robot that looked like the one in comic books to be honest with you and i built a huge seven foot tall cardboard robot that i put in display in my my living room i was so proud of it man i took pictures of it one day my wife waited for me to go to work and she threw it out on me bro she threw out my robot man i was so mad and she actually <laughs> did it because she just wanted to get rid of it from the living room. Then I started building the same one, a wood version. And I, I, I put it together, you know, and, and then that didn't really go well with me. And one day um, she had my son with a, my son was about eight or nine years old. And she gave him an electric drill, low power electric drill. And he took it apart on me. And I'm like, what? Because, you know, the kid didn't know. The kid just thought it was fun. And she said, no, take this apart. So I had built this robot and he took it apart. Then I went on for a third time. And the third time I built it, um, first I built the head. And uh, it was kind of funny because I, I took a, a half inch plywood. And in work where I used to work, there was a carpenter. And I asked him to cut two circular 12 inch uh, things out of the wood. And he did. He cut me two circles. And I took, I went to Home Depot and I bought this 22-inch uh, by 17-inch wide duct. Those ducts that they use for, not not ducts, but duct. That they, <laughs> I can't pronounce the word now. 
they use for the air conditioning units in warehouses, right? And I took, yeah, okay. and I took that, and I I started nailing it around, and I made a cylinder shaped head, which is the same one, of course, from the comic book robot. I did two holes on the thing with a with a drill. Actually, I bought a, a drill that was called the Dremel, and it was advertised on TV. And I paid like 150 for it to cut holes in steel. Man, that that's that thing makes the biggest noise in the world. And I I'm doing all this in my <laughs> living room, and my wife is just like, can't wait for me to stop. And I I put two light sockets and I put two light bulbs for the eyes. I made it look like the Bugs Bunny robot, which was funny. And I actually, when I couldn't do nothing with it, <laughs> I put it on eBay. And lo and behold, this guy buys it. And when he buys it, yeah, oh, I really? sold it for 100 I think it was $118. And I, I'm like, who the heck would buy this, right? So the guy that buys it, his name is Ken Hakuda. And I say, wait a minute. This name sounds familiar. So I had a book that was entitled How to Make a Million Dollars with Your Fad. And the fad... That, that book, you know, it shows like, you know, with a different, you know, how there's different fads out there. And he said, how to make a million dollars with your fad. And I, I, and the title or the author was Ken Hakuda. So I write him an email and go, hey, are you the guy, Ken Hakuda? Now, so that you know who Ken Hakuda is. He's the guy who invented the wacky wall crawlers. Those little spiders. That you put. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he yeah. invented that and he made millions with that. So he wrote the book based on that. So um, it was kind of funny, though, because here I'm happy that I sold the head. And then when I shipped it to him, he writes me back and says, yes, I am that Ken Hakuda, and I just bought your robot head. But he said it sarcastically, like, oh, yeah, and I just got your robot. You know, like, okay. <laughs> I looked at it, and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have sent him anything, you know. But um, that was a funny story. But then after that, I started designing another robot, which, believe it or not, I built it. 80% of it, eight feet tall. <laughs> it's in my basement. I can't put it together now because of the top and bottom, but I did have all the parts for it. I bought a couple of motors. What I was trying to build is just basically a robot. I took apart the original robot from, the, I think, one of the first robots ever made, uh, which is a tin robot. Um, if I remember the name for it, it's a yellow robot, very barbaric looking, and it was made in Japan. And... Um, and it's funny again that I don't I don't have the name of that robot right now, but Lilliput, yeah, the robot's called Lilliput, and it was the first robot ever made, you know, like out of Japan and stuff. And I took one apart and I copied the inside to build my giant sized robot because I'm not an engineer, but I mean, it just made sense to duplicate this in a larger size. I got it, I built it, and I have it in my basement to this day where the only thing I needed to do on it was finish the outside skin, which I bought like 22 pieces of aluminum that are four feet by four feet in Home Depot. And I have all that ready to finish it. And believe it or not, I had to stop because I had no place where to you know, continue building it because of being eight feet tall. The only place it fit was my living room and my wife forbade me, you know, she said, you better not. So... <laughs> So basically, now it's now it's time to to get the uh, the robot finished and, and get well, it working. Well, actually, that, that's a funny thing that you said that because my son just got married and uh, his father in law is a carpenter, and he actually told me, uh, "Why do you bring it over and you know you can finish it here in my house?" So I was thinking of getting it out of my storage and and taking it over because I got to be honest with you, I love things like that, and anytime you have a robot, 
In fact, there is a, uh, a lawyer in Connecticut that owns 144 acres. And this lawyer has got a lot of old amusement rights that he buys and puts in his thing. And he always wanted me to sell him that robot. In fact, he offered me for something that's not even finished, $2,500, which not bad for an investment of about four or 500, you know, <laughs> but um, I didn't want to sell it. Cause I mean, like I said, it's my baby there, you know, I have it in the basement. It's actually hidden among all the boxes because I filled it inside with boxes and I put it from the floor and the legs are there. And maybe in one of this videos on the weekend, I'm going to show the robot uh, where it is. And uh, I mean, it's, it was fascinating. I, I, I spent a lot of time building it, but like I said, that's a story with me and robots. But getting to that, I mentioned all that story to you because that's why when you see people like this coming with jetpacks and stuff, there's a lot of nuts out there like me. And I'm saying nuts because, you know, <laughs> I'm probably considered a nut when it comes to, I mean, come on, what can you do? But you know what? I'm a kid at heart and I love doing that stuff. Now, you know, we're uh, actually, as we're speaking now, we're getting close to the uh, the 50-minute range here. So we, we have a few minutes left. Uh so we might as well start wrapping up. Uh, what other things do you have to bring to the table, Joe? Well, if anyone's uh, still, you know, interested in the um, the electro robot, just a little bit more information on that, which uh, you know they could look up. You know, like Eddie said, that it, it came out in the um, you know the the World's Fair in uh, nineteen thirty nine, and then it appeared again in the 1940 World's Fair with a little companion, Sparko, the robot Actually, that, that was the same World's Fair, the 1939. Uh, he appeared with Sparko. That was the main, the, the appearance of that robot. Okay, and the, okay, and the current, the, the scrap pile of the robot is currently at the Mansfield Memorial uh, Museum in Ohio. So if anybody... You know, is interested in checking that out? They could go online, just type in Mansfield Memorial Museum, and um, they could get the directions there and, and you know check out that pile there. But you know that might be pretty cool because that's you know only about two hours away. Oh no, come me, on, so I Joe! Might have to make a little. You're gonna make me cry, man. Check You're gonna that make out. Me cry because you don't. I'm, I'm honestly telling you, I've been <laughs> trying to get out there. Um, I was thinking of just driving out there, and I asked my son if he wanted to join me because I want to go there and see that. Um, I'm a little resentful that I wasn't the guy who found it because <laughs> it was found by, I mean, this is something that Westinghouse doesn't own anymore, you know, obviously. Uh, but it would have been something beautiful to find and take ownership of, you know. But, you know, that that's like anything in life. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we want to do. And apparently, you know, we try, but doesn't get there. But yes, I've had a lot of challenges. I've had a lot of search in my life, a lot of stuff that makes me who I am and made me who I am since I was a kid. And, um, but the other thing I wanted to, I know you had recently, you had kind of a slight crash in your crypto classic Facebook. And where I also want to tell our, our listeners that crypto classic will be made available again, uh, in a different, uh, platform. It's probably going to be out of house of the unusual website. It's going to be integrated into that because, I mean, that was a beautiful thing you were doing there. and Right. We're going to we're going to get it, you know, hopefully up and running on the House of the Unusual site, whether it's in the form or another format. Um, it could also be found on Instagram 
and I'm going to start getting up some videos soon. Uh, I'll get them out to you, and, and they'll be up at the uh, the House of the Unusual YouTube um, channel, so you can check out the stuff there. I've got a, a real good uh, video that's going to be you know coming out on um, some old comic fanzines, and uh, you know we'll, we'll go from there and just get some real nice classic horror, sci-fi, and fantasy stuff going. So. You know, it, it, it's still it's still around, but we're going to get into some more some more user friendly format. And the everybody. biggest thing coming is uh, a lot of people have heard a podcast, and they're not aware that they can actually leave messages. If you go to Anchor, where a po- podcast is set, you can, in fact there's links where if you wanted to like say help our channel, if you wanted to to send us a message, you can actually do that directly. Um, that is something I'm finding out that they had. Um, also, due to the fact of the coronavirus, our, our system, our way of doing the podcast with the proper microphones and stuff, uh, it's been a little tough because everything's sold out. In fact, I, I actually ordered a device, which is the podcast standard of, the, I think, the country right now. And the device is like a little bit over $700 with the microphones and everything. It's over $1,000 of equipment that I've sent away for to make this podcast a really nice sounding podcast. Unfortunately, I'm on back order. I did get the one machine, but I don't have the microphones yet. And there's not a microphone I can purchase anywhere. Uh, even eBay, it's, it's, they're going for crazy prices, whoever has one. Uh, so having said that, is our podcast platform will be improving in the next couple of shows. You will hear people more clear. People will be talking a lot better. And I just want to say, because a lot of people might hear this and say, well, I wish they sounded better. But the reason is we're just doing it because we it's better to do it than not do it at all. And we have a lot of uh, you know nice information that people want to hear. And what we're asking people is just to listen to the content, not to listen exactly how it sounds, you know, for the time being. Right. Like, like, like I always, like I always said, you know, we we're doing this, you know, just for fun. You know, this is something that, that we both, you know, have a real passion for and, you know, stuff that we in, enjoy talking about. Cause you know, we found ourselves, you know, talking a lot during the week and, you know, said, Hey, you know, we, we should put this in a podcast format, let everybody hear. So, you know, we, thank everybody for listening and, and, you know, really appreciate it. And if you have some ideas that you, you know, you want us to talk about, you know, head over to the forum site on house of the unusual.com and, you know, let us know what what you'd be interested in, in hearing about, you know, whether it's mail order stuff, UFOs, you know, classic horror, sci-fi or fantasy comic books, whatever it is in pop culture, you know, head over there and, you know, Tell us what you want to hear, and you know we'll, we'll get yeah, it out. And, and one of the things is it was kind of funny because we—I never thought it was going to happen so early in our podcast. But if you ever heard of uh, the old-fashioned way of saying, you tune into a TV show and it says we're having technical difficulties. So tonight was one of those nights. We were actually scheduled to have on as a guest the famous Craig Tobek from Johnson Smith Company, and unfortunately we couldn't get him on because of uh, technical difficulties. But <laughs> so st- stay tuned for a future. Yeah, that, that's with definitely Craig. coming. Hopefully soon, and uh, we also have a down the pipeline. I'm going to be having a special with David Harvestat, and he's going to be. Uh, this is going to be kind of like a UFO special where he's going to explain 
about his book that he published uh, concerning the six astronauts that walked the moon and his UFO sightings and stuff. And we will be talking about more flying saucers and, you know, and future fun stuff, which I'm sure now a lot of people who are seeing flying saucers can come to the table and maybe bring their uh, stories to us. I mean, we like to hear from you guys. It's important we hear from you guys. And I also want to thank you guys because my YouTube channel has been growing for the last three weeks and it's growing in a pretty decent amount of numbers and a lot of people are enjoying the thing. And I decided to each and every week, week open up a brand new box of my collection and whatever's in there, just show it, you know, I'm surprising myself with the stuff I'm finding that I own. And, um, and I think uh, Joe is doing the same in his part because he too has a small, interesting collection there. And we will have again, Todd. I mean, I tried to get Todd on the show tonight, but he was pulling a fast one because he says we're going to make him laugh and all that stuff. Well, anyway, <laughs> we're going to get him on because he did a great job last week. And, uh, you know, he's a cool guy. He's really yeah, a good guy absolutely. helping us. And we want to have everybody that, you know, that can join and is willing to maybe want appear in a podcast. Please let us know if you have a subject you like to talk about. We'll have you on as a guest. Uh, so having said that, you know, Joe, we... Um, we're almost ready to wrap it up here. We have about three minutes left and I want you now to wrap it up with whatever other ideas you have. And um, I guess we'll go from there. Yeah. I just, you know, if you can go to the house of the unusual.com forum, you know, let us know of a topic you want to hear. And if you want to be a guest, you know, drop us a line on there, drop us an email. Uh, all the contact information will be on there. Head over to the YouTube. Eddie's got some great videos of his collection. And not only will you have a blast watching it and listening to it, but you get to see these these pieces of pop culture history that you won't get to see anywhere else. So, you know, it, it's just it's all about having fun. You know, we're all we're all kids at heart. We're all doing this for the passion and for the love of it. And whoo, that's well, all I got to say. <laughs> finishing up also as well is the forum itself. Joe had brought to my attention that he liked to try a different format. We can have categories. And then when you would hit the category, um, you know, there's going to be whatever that category is, subcategories where people can discuss certain things instead of just like one tread after another. And, uh, you know, that's something I'm working on right now. Uh, Constantly it, a work yeah, in we, progress. We're just a work man, in progress. It. We just ask you guys to please help us continue to build us continue to join us, and then together we will make things happen. Uh, having said that, I want to say thank you again for everything. Again, please pass on this to your friends. Let them listen to the podcast. You know, put in your input. We need that, and we'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, thank you, and another beautiful podcast together. Joe, I appreciate you reaching out, you know, taking your time. And we're doing this together, me and Joe as a team. And I glad, I'm glad i so glad he does. And, you know, we look forward for the future publication of Ghost Ship Times. It's going to probably happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I first need to iron out the podcast and I need to iron out the website uh, so that it's working to the standards that we can consider uh, better than now. Meaning the sound should be better, the everything should be better electronically but it's kind of tough when you try to buy things and you can't because they're sold out and on back order 
and it's insane, but that's where we're standing right now because of this coronavirus, which is a face we all, I think, would wish we can forget and get back to normal soon. Uh, God yeah. willing. So, so, so everyone stay well, tuned and stay tuned. Well, and, God bless and, you. Know, you be on the lookout for a lot of well, interesting stuff. God bless stuff. all you guys. Stay tuned, like Joe said. And, you know, Joe, till next time. All right, Eddie. See you later. See you later.